Welcome to This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Vircola. I'm here to help Paul run through the big stories of the week. Recap them as they've appeared on thisiscommonsense.org. That's the website Paul's been working on since 1999. So what did you write about this week? Right, right. I was right about everything. Oh, oh, oh. What did I write about? About, yes. About. Well, uh, creeping totalitarianism, maybe. That's a persistent theme. It is a persistent theme. And I wanted to start off, uh, we've been talking to people, you know, regular visitors at thisiscommonsense.org uh, know that every day we, we highlight a quote uh, and every day we have a today and freedom, you know, some, some event in history, sometimes multiple events uh, that are worth noting on a particular day. But uh, here's a quote from uh, George Orwell. And I, I love Orwell, um, not, not so much, the, you know, as a literary scholar, because I'm not a literary scholar, but as someone who, you know, some, sometimes libertarians will say, well, I came to libertarianism because I read Ayn Rand or they read Mises or they, I, I don't think I really came to libertarianism. I lived in, a, I grew up in a pretty libertarian household, uh, politically, sensibility wise, a lot of freedom, a lot of belief in freedom and individual will. And, but reading 1984 in what, eighth, eighth grade or something, uh, ninth grade maybe, uh, really it just, you know, it, it, it hit me and it hit me hard. And, and I, I liked the, the beating in the sense that I thought, man, I'm, I'm awake. This is the world. And, and I, to this day, think the number one fear that anybody who's politically active ought to be aware of and concerned about is totalitarianism and you know i immediately think of china and the chinazis and you know what they've done to their own people what they've done now to hong kong where you can't say anything what they're going to do in threatening people who go to the olympics the athletes if they make any statement might end up disappeared or in a chinese prison or um it's it's horrific and of course it includes genocide. Well, Orwell wrote 1984 after World War II uh, and, and having seen what totalitarian Germany and totalitarian Japan in essence uh, uh, wrecked on the, on the world, but he also recognized the, the building blocks of that same sort of totalitarianism in the West. And, and a lot of people, they wanna argue, well, he was a socialist, or, but he, he critiques socialism. All of that is true. But the main thing that I think he gives us is the understanding that this is not some German thing. This is not some Japanese thing. This is not some Chinese thing. This is not some Russian thing. This is a human being problem, and we ought to try to solve it. And he, here's his quote. This is something he wrote about 1984 and other things in, in a uh, collection of, of his writings. I do not believe that the kind of society I describe necessarily will arrive, but I believe, allowing, of course, for the fact that the book is a satire, that something resembling it could arrive. 
I believe also that totalitarian ideas have taken root in the minds of intellectuals everywhere. I believe also that totalitarian ideas have taken root in the minds of intellectuals everywhere. And I think he's right. And boy, you see it not just, and we talk about this all the time because we talk a lot about <clears throat> what's happening with China and Taiwan and Hong Kong and, and world events in that way. But we also see it all the time in Facebook and YouTube and their censorship and the government collusion with the censorship. And we wrote about that this week. And we see it in our government wanting to shut down speech in all kinds of ways. There was a poll that came out this week. It was a Heartland Institute uh, <clears throat> Rasmussen Reports poll that found 48% of self-identified Democrats, they asked people, you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, 48%, a plurality, because 46% of Democrats felt the other way, but 48% of Democrats believe that if you say something doubting, uh, you know, creating doubt about the vaccines in public, <laughs> it's hard to even get this out. If you say something bad about the vaccines in public, that you could be or should be fined or imprisoned. Now, this, you know, and maybe the polls off a little bit or something, pray that that's the case. But my goodness, a plurality of Democrats believe we ought to have a government that finds and imprisons us if we say something. No, they didn't say, say something false, misleading, terrible. They said something that, that raises doubt. This is like a return to the Middle Ages. It's, it, it's insane. And it is the, that's the same attitude at work in China. Uh, it's, it, it is totalitarian. And Orwell saw those building blocks, those seeds of horror after the war. The war is over. But he still sees the problem and he doesn't just see it in Mao's China or in, and of course, Mao hadn't fully consolidated China yet at the time he wrote 1984, but he doesn't see it just in the Soviet Union. He sees it in the UK and in the US. Um, so uh, that's something that I think people, you know, it's so easy to see it in the, in the other side. And sometimes when I, you know, I'm discussing with people about, uh, you know, China and the danger that I see there. It's, it's all this, well, you're just an American who, I, I see the same danger in the American government. This is not a, this is not a, well, the, the good old US of A. I'm not going to go out and chant USA because somehow, you know, we're, we're bigger and better than China. I don't want I don't want China to be the world policeman. Frankly, I don't want us to be the world's policeman. I think we'd be better off with some alliances of free countries that, that had enough clout together to protect the waterways like the South China Sea 
and and other other places. What do you think of all that? I, I know I know you you used to be a big fan of totalitarianism. You're always <laughs> what do you what do you have to say, Mister Mister Tim? In America, the intellectuals and one party now, one party quite decisively, one party. You just mentioned the name of the party uh, is for increasing the size and scope of government into regulating speech and, and press and things like that. It's just quite rigorous. And so that's why we use the word totalitarian because we're going in a direction that totalitarian nations go. Uh, just more control over areas that used to be sacrosanct among liberals, right? A liberal right. would never ever go this direction. But now these people who conservatives call liberals, they don't call themselves liberals very often and very much anymore. And they call themselves progressives. So that's, that's something's that's happened. Uh, that's something has happened. But I, I think it's I think it's a class thing, is that I I think that Democrats are generally, and and I think it's borne out by the uh, statistics, are generally college grad graduates. They align themselves with college graduate kind of thinking or college attendee kind of thinking, and they see themselves as making up the class that rules and not many rules, but they're the class of science. Not because they know how to do science, but because they're the class of science. They've designated themselves. Right, that. right. They've had enough listening to us riffraff, right? Who don't who don't know as much as they right, do. right. And I think really they now generally hate those that aren't themselves. I get from Democrats regularly a hatred that uh, is almost visceral. During the Trump era, this was very very common. Uh, I mean, I have I have friends on the left who just regularly called the, these people, these Trumpers, the Trumpians or whatever, fascists. Of course they're fascists. They didn't want to consult what the definition of fascism was, and they didn't really point to any particular position of theirs. They would say the things that they disagreed about Trump and also the very the nationalistic flavor, and he was a nationalist. That's obviously the case. But was he a fascist? And was he a totalitarian by nature? He didn't seem like one to me. He was sometimes sounded dangerous, but he didn't seem very totalitarian to me. I think where I agree so much with with that is from the very beginning, it's been kind of revenge of the smart kids. It's like the, the biggest crime Trump made is that he doesn't voice everything in the intellectual way. He speaks to the common man. Who does that? I mean, come on. And and it really is. It's it's class. Uh, maybe not in the classic Marxist sense, but it it is, it's kind of the education, you know, the, I don't even want to say the intelligentsia because that's bigger than just academia, but it it is academia, it's the media, it's the, it's the whole professional apparatus around government and, and, and around well, big media. Well, they make up the pool of people from which government draws its resources right they're coming for money but but not for not for our expertise right <laughs> nor would we give give them that expertise so it's an interesting problem now you wrote i can think of one piece that you wrote this week uh, google shareholders versus google censorship that's that's one on this theme but were there others as well well in in a sense the the uh they're they're is a, are a couple of scripts. Let me see if I can get it out. That's why I write because I just can't get my words out. Uh, 
there's a there are a couple scripts that that deal with and of course i always call them scripts because we did these on on the radio for years uh and they're written now so i guess they're commentaries but uh scripts is a is a shorter word and uh but there there is the the uh there's a couple things about uh covid uh which is and the pandemic which is kind of given government a new lease on totalitarianism at least uh, where you can have totalitarian attitudes that a lot of people aren't going to see so much that way because it's an emergency and life and death. And, you know, even if the death rate is very, very small, it, it is life and death overall, millions of people. And it's kind of hard to know how much by the pandemic people have been harmed and how much by the, the reaction to it. But it's all tied into, of course, that ties into all the social media stuff. And we had uh, a couple different scripts on social media and the way it behaves, and then two, two on each of those subjects. And then the other was about the media. And Perry Bacon, uh, this was Tuesday, telling us clearly. And Perry Bacon is a columnist for the Washington Post who basically believes Republicans are evil, are evil, horrible, terrible people. And, and we know this because in most cases, as he says, uh, let me quote him directly. Uh, in most cases, oh, he's a funny man. In most cases, the GOP, the, the Republican Party is even worse than the Democrats. You know, that's the uh, boy, if they're worse than the Democrats, well, then that's then you get to just hate them. And his point in this column is to refer to the media, the new kind of attitude of the media. You know, the Washington Post's little masthead now says uh, democracy dies in darkness is pro-democracy media. But what he is saying is they need to implicate Republicans as the problem. They need to cover it in such a way that they tell people Republicans are evil, terrible, and it's all over voting rights and democracy. But in his piece and every other piece that you read in the paper, there is almost zero explanation of what these, these horrible, horrific crimes that the Republicans are committing, why won't they tell us they must just be the blood and gore and destruction of democracy must be so horrific that they just can't explain what it is. The best they do is to, is to talk about that you can't bring water to people, which of course is not technically true because you can bring water. You just can't bring water if you're actively campaigning at the polls. Then you can't hand people water. You can't hand them money. You can't hand them a steak dinner. You know, you can't win them all. Um, but, but there's you know, the media is so complicit. And of course, here's a column saying you're not complicit enough. You have to push harder. And, and but the media is basically just, it's pro-democracy. Democrats are pro-democracy. Republicans are racist suppressionists because of their voter ID, which of course, if you find out that everybody, pretty much 80% of the country supports voter ID, including uh, minorities more than white people, according to the, all the polls, then, of course, the Democrats come out and say, oh, we're all for that. But 
what Democrats are pushing would actually supersede all the state laws and be voter ID requiring a photo ID, except if you don't have one, oh, shucks, okay, vote anyway. That's their idea of voter ID. And it's a joke. And, and of course, look, let someone come on TV and explain why that's the way to do it. Let someone else come on and explain why it's not. Let the media explain all the details, but they don't explain any of it. They don't think we're up to knowing, or really, they think we are up to knowing. And that if we know, then the gig's up. If we know everything, then they're, oh my God, uh, you know, January 6th was used as, as we've got to get the, the voting rights through because of this. And then Martin Luther King and it's, and we're all, we're, we're George Wallace or we're, because Georgia has more early voting days than New York City, New York State. It's all of this. It, it just shows the cabal we have between big government and social media and the rest of the media. And it's, it really is frightening. And, but I, I encourage people to go read telling us clearly that the funny thing is at the end of the column and I, both my commentary and Perry Bacon's column in the Washington Post, at the end of his column, and I mentioned at the end of mine, uh, he points out that the media is telling, he, 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 he basically says, and I started off with this, but uh, he, he says, well, everyone in America gets to cast a ballot on election day. In reality, rich people, corporations, foundations, politicians, and other elite individuals and organizations have outside power. But he says, we don't have to worry because you see, they're telling them, the media is telling all these people with outside power how bad the Republicans are. And his biggest concern is that some Republicans aren't being told enough, aren't being hit over the head enough with stories about how terrible the Republicans are. Um, this, this leads to a situation in which the media is at its lowest support ever among the public and just keeps sinking lower. And, and how could they not? And then of course, the expectation is they're supposed to do everything the Democrats want. Well, you know, they have to write it exactly that way or they're being beat up by Democrats for not being woke enough as journalists. Two things. Uh, one is you said, you seem to be saying outside power. Did you mean to say outsized power? I did. Okay. But you know, in a sense, Outside power is an interesting idea, you too. <laughs> because the inside and the outside of what is society and the state, I mean, that is, there is an outside and there is an inside, but also if you're looking at, at the reverse way, American society is the inside and the outside is government and that cabal. So it goes both ways and it's an interesting idea because when they're preaching at us, it's an outside power that they bring. <laughs> they bring yes, those. I like that because it, it again, it doesn't give like that they somehow should rightfully control the government that's supposed to be the, the people. But it, it also strikes me as as interesting the way he talks about, you know, the elite and how they really control everything. But of course, he sees himself as part of that elite 
And all these folks in Washington see themselves as this elite. This, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy, kind of. It's the, um, the elite control everything. And they're, they're saying that kind of like it's a negative, but it's a positive for them. They, they are the elite. They want to be more the elite. And they think that's the right way for things to be done. And, and they hate everyone who's not part of the elite. And it, 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 it's the sort of thing that I think more and more, and I don't know that we've uh, discussed this or written about this as much as, as I'd like to, but it's, it's kind of hard to get at. I look at products all the time, you know, the, the, the need a new refrigerator or you need a new dryer or you need a new car or whatever. And I look at the price. I'm somebody who, you know, look, if it's less than $20, I'm pretty easy going. But after $20, it's like, what? It costs what? And, uh, and, and so you see these things and it's like, well, wait a second, six years or 10 years or whatever ago, we bought this same thing and it cost a fraction of this. And some of it may be inflation, but of course we haven't had a ton of inflation uh, in in recent years. Well, we haven't seen it in the in the price. What it is a lot is that they are putting they're requiring all kinds of things to help the environment. Supposedly this and that, and and in essence, they're requiring more to go into these products. And so the price of these products goes up, 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 up. Now, who's calling for that? Is it the poorest parts of town that are demanding that we do this? No, it's the richest parts of town that are demanding that we do this. And they're demanding that we do this because why wouldn't you want to do this? This is going to help the environment, supposedly. <laughs> and, and so, except... The, there's also a big difference. The folks in the richest part of town who want to do this, the extra cost is not a big deal. But if you're trying to raise a few kids and you need a refrigerator and you can't quite do without the refrigerator, well, maybe, maybe the, the trip that summer for the kids got to go. You got to have a refrigerator and it's, and it's $6,000 or something. And so, and there's just zero appreciation in Washington, D.C. and among politicians and among the Democrats who love the poor, but don't have a clue about the poor and are trying their hardest never to meet any, unless there's a photo op. Where's the camera? I'm, I'm here. It is, and, and you never hear anybody talk about that. But every time I get sticker shock, I, I soothe myself by realizing, hey, there are people worse off that are getting the sticker shock constantly. And it's why it's a struggle for people to, to, to maintain a middle class when the wealthy decide, let's just up the price of everything. One of the things that annoyed me about Perry Bacon's article was his ragging on corporations and big money and so forth, as if the businesses that he's writing at, these newspapers, aren't corporations. Yes. And aren't the result of big money they've been bought by billionaires they promote messages that the billionaires approve and uh it's, it's, he's it's working a... he's working for bezos he's like working for the one of the richest guy if not the richest guy in the on the planet it's very peculiar and also they never seem to remember that the that uh, the very nature of a corporation the government is a corporation too 
is that I mean, really that's, that's one of the interesting things is that people complain about corporations is they forget that we we think in terms of corporations because governments granted certain powers and rights to groups of individuals to call themselves corporations that have a legal status that's different and that comes from government it doesn't come from the people or common law it does come from government so we're talking about here is a government business government way of doing things and it's a kind of interesting thing for him to be ragging on corporations and big money at the same time he's working for corporation a corporation with big money and at the same time he's promoting the biggest money outfit that is a corporation in human history the biggest well, corporation in human history is the united states government yes but he's not really ragging on them so much and this is the little shift it's a big shift <laughs> The the uh, Ralph Nader doesn't like big corporations. He's afraid of private power. The left used to be anti-corporation because they're afraid of private power. I'm not so anti-corporation per se, but I share their fear of private power. I also recognize that private power becomes a lot more powerful if it is if there's a private public partnership where they get to have police forces and armies behind their products. Um, and so that's that is a, a huge part of what's happened. And, and there's all this talk about how the Republican Party has changed and it has changed and some radicalism in the party of this sort or that sort, some of which Hey, I like that radicalism, you know, if it's small government, if it's follow the Constitution and other that, you know, wants to break into the Capitol to stop the vote. Well, I'm not with that. Um, but but and, and I'm not saying that that's a huge part of of the public out there, but there's all these different views and and the Republican Party has changed and it has become more radical as both parties have have kind of moved to the edges of the spectrum. But one of the changes that seems to be a total change is kind of like when people, hey, uh, Trump's going to do some big government thing and Republicans are in favor of it. You kind of go, hey, that's not, uh, you know, his spending, for instance, that's not, of course, they all did that. But anyway, uh, but on the Democratic side, this corporate change is big. It's big. Today's progressive is not anti-big corporation. If, they, if the big corporation is part of the cabal of, of, of hopeful totalitarianism, then they're okay. They're in. They're part of the club. And, and uh, it's, it's much more of, it reminds me almost of the Xi Jinping Chinese thing, their view of, of state capitalism. It's not the Russian or the, well, and, and it's not the, the San Francisco idea of communism, which is, hey, we're all going to just take it easy if we don't want to work. You know, in real communist countries, they come to your door with a gun and they say, get your butt out there and do some work. And in, in, in a sense, Chinese communism, you know, or communism with Chinese characteristics is tough capitalism go out and make some money for the motherland and and in essence uh the new democrat is not not against big corporations as long as they're in with big government and as long as they're about remaking all of society and that's and and i say democrats 
that's where all the mouthpieces for Democrats are. I recognize that's not where a majority of people who might answer a poll and say, I'm a Democrat are. But that's why this poll I mentioned, we'll I'll probably write something next week about it uh, for next week. I'll have to do it this weekend, struggling to watch basketball and write at the same time. But anyway, uh, I digress. Um, and, and now I can't think of where, where I was headed with that. But where, where... Well, there's an element of polls. and, and uh... oh, oh, that's why this poll is so scary. Because, look, I know that I and we have said often Democrats in Washington are way, 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 way to the left of the average Democrat. The media, the liberal media is way to the left of the Democratic Party, way to the left. And that's so so you would expect when you're polling the public. Those who say, hey, I'm a Democrat are going to be much more conservative than that. And to see 48 to 46 percent there in favor, a plurality of Democrats are in favor of putting people in prison if they say something that might counter the dominant government, big high tech narrative. I mean, that is really, really scary. Let's mention two of the social media things. She started earlier, Tim, to mention uh, Google, uh, Google versus Google, uh, Google shareholders versus Google censorship, and uh, that was uh, Thursday's commentary. And and uh, this is basically shareholders of Google, the people who I think bought shares maybe so they could do this. Smart, uh, I like it. Uh, but asking Google to release how they have talked with the Biden administration, what the conversations have been, what the Biden administration has asked them to do. And so they're a private corporation, but now there are some people who are owners, part owners of that corporation saying, hey, wait a second, we'd like to know what you're up to. And, uh, and, and this is where Folks who want to talk about, well, this is a private corporation, private corporations. You know, the government can't just form private corporations to violate our rights. And if they are colluding with private organizations to violate our rights, that is a very serious civil rights violation by people in the government and by, by the, those companies. And we should mention when you're saying private corporation, you simply mean private versus government. Not because Google is a public corporation, a publicly held corporation. Right. I have to use these silly words, you know, <laughs> they have meanings. It's hard to keep up with it all. Anyway, so the Google situation, there's, there's a there's some chance of something good happening. Yes. On, on Monday, you wrote reversing the irreversible, which was about Facebook. Now, that's a difference. And it was something good that happened. Uh Facebook said to this group, Heroes of Liberty, and they have, they have uh, stories that are for kids uh, about different people that they think are heroes of liberty. I happen to agree with most of them, I think, uh, but it's up to people to decide who they think the heroes are and to tell us, and if they want to, we can listen, not listen. Well, they've been advertising, doing stuff on Facebook, and Facebook basically tried to seize their money, seize their money 
and kicked them off and said they had decided when they appealed, no, this is an irreversible decision. What did they violate or anything? Facebook, it is such a mess. It is such a mess. And, and of course they didn't violate anything. Well, the irreversible decision was finally reversed. Why? Because they got enough flack. But they, they have literally no, no credibility whatsoever. None. And, and it's just, it's like you don't even, it's, at this point, it's like, don't even tell me the details. I know, I know. And I know for one, because I, I no longer have the little thing on my Facebook account. But for a while, I had account restricted. And I was restricted from going live on Facebook, something I've never done, real, never really intend to do, unless I hear a really good song in the car, and then I might broadcast that to everyone. Um, why? Because a month after I posted that with some pictures that I was in London at a Punjab referendum uh, as part of the Punjab Referendum Commission, watching the Sikhs for Justice had put on this referendum. Um, we were referees. I didn't make any you know, statements one way or the other, which of course shouldn't make any difference because remember we used to have free speech. And, uh, but it was a month later, I don't know, they got some complaint or something, I don't know. All of a sudden, my account is restricted, um, which, of course, you know, I'm kind of loving because it's like these days, if you haven't been aggressed against by Facebook, you're starting to feel like, hey, aren't I important? Anyway, uh, I tried to appeal it, except that there was no real communication. I, I sent different things to different, you know, comment thing. I got no response. Anyway, that's a tiny thing, but this is this, they're literally trying to take this group's money. You know, I'm sure that it's totally even-handed, but I never hear people on the left complaining about that. And I hear all the time people on the right. The uh, the other two uh scripts that we did this week that that uh dealt with the Omicron and the latest on the pandemic. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's it's uh, the 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 young and the unmasked. I think is is one that hit people the hardest. The young and the unmasked is about a preschool. I was going to say daycare, but it's a preschool. Uh, what is it? Foothills Christian Church Preschool. So you can tell right off they're troublemakers. <laughs> well, Tiffany McHugh, she had trouble getting two-year-olds to wear their masks all day, uh, at least wear them sufficiently for the state. And so they've come in and shut down the preschool and put something, I guess, in her permanent government file that she can never again work in a preschool. Um, I have a feeling there's going to be litigation here. And I have a feeling that the state is going to lose. But of course, when they lose, they lose with our money. And probably nobody's going to pay any personal price. But this is outrageous. And, and uh, I think of, of the pieces this week, this is one that I think really 
Well, I stumbled upon it and couldn't believe, uh, you know, that that this is what's happening. And um, and there's a lot of suspicion that this is, you know, someone going after her using the state to go after somebody. It's not the first time that's ever happened. Um, but of course, we don't know this. The uh, government officials say, no, that's not the case. I guess they're, they're going to be moving to shut down every preschool in the San Diego area. Um, this is, it just shows the level of insanity. And I think we can use it to segue to the last piece of the week. Thank Omicron or hypocrisy. This is Boris Johnson who of course has gotten in trouble for attending wild parties. I don't know how wild they were, but parties where they're so wild that people were unmasked. And, and of course, I don't think there's anything wrong with going to a party unmasked if that's what you want to do. But if you're mandating that other people can't do it, you probably shouldn't do it. And of course, then Boris Johnson comes out and he says, it's the science. I don't know how the science has changed. I think the science has always been kind of dubious about, about the mass. But he comes out and says, no, it's just the science. But I think everybody kind of suspects, no, it's just the politics. And if you just take a step back, we've seen Nancy Pelosi. We've seen the governor of California, who's a big mandate mass guy. Don't no social meetings, distance, put your mask on in between bites. Uh, we have seen how this works. Big government science is political science. It's not the kind of science where doctors help get you well. Uh, it just, it, and why would we be surprised? That's how that politics infects things that it grabs hold of. And uh, and that's that's what we see again and again coming down like Nazi stormtroopers. I'm sure I could think of some other story coming down like Pol Pot's stormtroopers uh, on on poor Tiffany McHugh and on two-year-olds who just aren't the greatest mask wearers. And I see adults all the time wearing masks, but they're below their nose, which, you know, if even if you believe in the mask, that's not doing you any good. And it's not doing anybody else any good. And, and yet we're going to come down on this one woman at a Christian preschool and on two-year-olds but boy, if you're the governor, if you're the prime minister of, of the United Kingdom, it, you know, you're the speaker of the house, you can violate these rules all you want. And you seem to get away with it. Oh, there's a little bit of press sometimes, sometimes not so much. I'm sure that I'm sure the more it was Republicans doing it, there'd be a lot of press, at least in my Washington Post. But uh, that's that's where we are. We, we have the collusion of major forces who treat us like kids, uh, who they're just not going to tell us the truth. And this is something I said in, in uh, the piece about uh, Perry Bacon, the columnist for the Washington Post this week. America's major media is a pit of partisan vipers more interested in how they can spin the news to turn votes 
their way than on what you as a citizen of a democratic constitutional republic need to know to make informed decisions your way. Yeah, I almost wanted to quote that passage myself a few moments ago when we were discussing that commentary. Uh, James Gill put it up as the, in the image, so it made it very easy to do so. Yes. Uh, you're, you haven't quite informed the audience what the real big news story, though, is with your Friday piece, and that is that uh, the last of the mandates for masks in Britain are down, is that Boris Johnson took them, took them down and is taking them down in, a, in actually not as a spectacular way as, as it's made out to be, but it's still shocking many people. Yes. And as we point out in the piece, uh, the support for all the masks, especially masks on, on school kids, uh, is, not, is not there in, in uh, Britain. And, and so, you know, it's, what he's doing is not terribly unpopular. Uh, it appears to be popular, but it's probably not popular with the, the people who write columns and, and uh, buy ink by the barrel. And, uh, but the, the key is, is he doing the right thing because it's the right thing or because it's the politically expedient thing? And I'm just making the point that we have seen politicians do the politically expedient thing again and again and again while they're, you know, draconianly, is that a word, uh, going after, you know, the Tiffany McHughes and the, the school teachers and the, and the school kids. On that note, I think, uh, I think this is this week with common, this weekend common sense with common sense. A loving common sense, adoring common sense. And people should go to thisiscommonsense.org. That's where they can find this podcast in several of its forms. It's on Rumble, it's on SoundCloud, and it's on a podcatcher near you. So there you are. Thank you much, Tim. See you later. All right, man. Mm-hmm.